Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. To reveal the full spectrum of its dazzling color. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 8.05, the time, hour number two here on Sports 56 Mornings. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you on this Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. We are in the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, their overstock sale continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. As you get set to begin your Thursday morning, 32 degrees. We're at the freezing mark right now, although the sun is shining. But it will warm up with a high expected to be about 61 today. Tonight, mostly clear skies with a low near 40. Then tomorrow, even nicer sunny with a high of 66 degrees. Second hour of the program brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. I'll tell you more about them a little bit later on in the hour. We have the Tiger football report coming up. Hour three, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl inside college football hour. But right now, it is time to talk to Coach Silverfield. It's time to talk Memphis Tigers football. It's Sports 56 Mornings weekly visit with Tigers head coach Ryan Silverfield. Brought to you by ATC Fitness with 18 locations in Memphis and the Mid-South. Now, here's Coach Silverfield with Greg and Eli. The 6-2 Tigers will host the University of South Florida on Saturday, homecoming at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. He is the coach of the Tigers, Ryan Silverfield, who you can follow on Twitter at rsilverfield. Hey, Coach, how are you? Great. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good. Doing really well. So I wanted to ask you about that, that last drive by Seth Hennigan. Less than a minute. It really wasn't a two-minute drive. It was a one-minute drive. As far as last minute, two-minute drives go in your career that you've witnessed. How good was that one? Well, you know what I appreciated about that is if you've been in this game long enough, you've been on both sides of the ball with them. Right. right. Uh, and even in my, I guess, I wouldn't say short-time Memphis, in my long-time Memphis, I've seen it both. Um, but, uh, look, just the, the calm, cool collectiveness of the entire group was just, that was phenomenal. And just the way to go out down there and execute um, – it was a lot of fun and, you know, a meaningful away conference game um, that are hard to come by. And the way the game, you know, unraveled, I think it just meant like, okay, we got this handled. And so uh, it's going to be up there. Obviously one of those you, you, you never forget, but you got a lot to learn from from it because of the way uh, the second half went. But just so pleased with the guys, resiliency, and, and finding a way. I, I say it every week, guys. Um, find a way to win the football game, whatever it looks like. Um, we've been on both sides of it, but just proud of the, the, the final outcome. When a game goes that way and you've got the big lead and then suddenly like they score that last touchdown and now you're trailing, did you have to, is there, do you have to say anything like kind of calm everybody down, like ease the shock a little bit, or do they understand, Hey, let's, this is just the next drive. We got to go do this. Yeah. And so Good question because I, we talk about it all the time, and I've, I've mentioned it even the last few weeks. And we're seeing it more. I don't know if we're seeing it more now in college football, or it's just with social media, all these other things that are occurring um, in the college football realm. Right? It, you're seeing the momentum of games, and I keep going back to right where the, I don't mean to talk about Colorado Stanford game, but like that was a 29 point lead yeah. at halftime, and Stanford won't even touching the 50 yard line. Um, we knew how explosive North Texas offense was. Momentum is real in college football. I've been saying that. That doesn't mean our guys relaxed. That doesn't mean our guys lost focus. We just didn't execute, right? I mean, we had drop passes in the, in the 
the third and fourth quarter that could have been critical that may have made a complete difference in the game and maybe you win by two scores. Um, but on that, when they score, right, you're obviously, <laughs> as a coach, you're, you're livid, uh, you're angry, <laughs> you feel all sorts of emotions. Um, but at that point, you cannot let that show. You just got to say, okay, and now you got to go to the next unit that's up. And at that point, right, kick off return, and then offense and say, okay, here's what we got to do. And, you know, our, I talk about all time situational football. And we, we, you know, whether it's through spring, spring ball, through training camp, um, and into the season, we practice situations all the time. And every week, we practice what we call two minute situation. Mm-hmm. Right? Greg just said it was yep. a one minute situation. <laughs> yeah, 46 seconds, two timeouts. You know, you got to go 65 yards and figure out a way to get uh, six points on the board. And we had practiced a 42 second, um, two timeouts. So very similar to that with the time and, and the timeouts. Uh, on Wednesday, but we needed a field goal, um, and we had to go at that point uh, a little bit longer in length. So, you know, I think you put those guys in the situation throughout the weeks. It just so happened to be very similar. And guys, okay, Wednesday practice, period seven, here we go. And uh, credit to them for having the result to go get it done. Well, one thing is is the coaching staff. You guys are paid to be in that situation if you fall down to get your team ready to go to try to win it which is exactly what happened so that's not a surprise I'm right there on the sidelines what really impressed me was that the players didn't get down on themselves I didn't see a lot of heads hanging low there and just like cussing and what they were not they were focused on trying to still win the game knowing that they had time to play you don't see that a lot from young Athletes, uh, when they get into that situation, it's they're pretty much toast, and uh, that's that's I think a lot to, to say about those those young athletes out there, but also the coaching staff, how you have them ready for every situation. Well, I think that's important. That's one of those things you, you hear the and we've talked about it on the show before, guys. Like we talk about culture, and every coach, every CEO uses that word, and it's it's a popular buzzword. But what does that really mean? I think you get a lot of feel for. Um, just looking at the demeanor of the sideline, right? Are guys fighting? We see it on, uh, and, you know, you turn on a game on a Saturday and you'll see guys bickering at each other on the sideline or, or yelling at the coaches. Look, that, we're a family, so it doesn't mean we're perfect. We we, right. yell, we bicker, we do all those things like any other family of uh, 200 people. Um, but reality is our, our guys are bought in and, and they understand and, and they care and they, they're focused. And, you know, all anybody on the outside can ever see is, well, if you win the game, cool, then you're doing a good job. If you lose the game, then there must be a terrible culture. They must not care. They must not be bought in. And what I appreciate, Greg, is at least you being on the sideline, being on the plane with the guys, seeing them, interacting with them, like, okay, this is a different type of group. And that's what I've been saying all along. And obviously the country will only know what it is by wins and losses. And I understand that's our job to win football games. I, I That's 1,000% my job to do that and graduate our student-athletes. But um, I, I'm very proud of the, the fact that the guys, okay, that's what we got to do. Let's not hang our heads. Let's go swing. Are we, do we get frustrated? Sure. Do we get angry? Sure. I mean, we're uh, emotions of any program. You should, you're supposed to do those things. But when man, it, it comes time to nut cutting time and, and you find a way to go grind this thing out and find a way to win a football game, uh, that's what you got to be pleased with. The, the previous drive when you went for the fourth down, can you kind of take us through – that whole how's that play out? Like conversations? Are you? What are you? The conversations that are going on about pinning them deep versus going for it? All of those type sure. things to result in the decision you end up making. 
Yeah, you mean you look at right in the whole second half, there's a lot of those, right? Third and ones, fourth and ones, go for it, punt. Um, you know, on a couple of them, right, on one of the third and ones, we, I mean, we, we hand the ball off, um, thought we had a, a decent play call, and obviously, um, look, but certainly it's all not, we got to be better with the play calls if it's not working. Um, but we didn't execute, right? And we got knocked back a half a yard. And so we punted the ball away. And then the next situation, uh, third and one, uh, drop pass. And then we said, okay, well, fourth and one, we knew what they did last time to us. We tried to run the ball in this situation. We felt like field position-wise, it, it was comfortable to go for it. We felt um, we knew our defense um, needed a little assistance because at that point we were having troubles to get off the field. And uh, we, we decided to go for it. And again, another drop pass, right? And so, you know, you run up the middle. Oh, why are you run up the middle again? <laughs> you throw a pass while you throw a pass. So, um, we, we try to be creative with our play calling and put our guys in situations that we practice all week. And, um, you know, I think you look at it with two drop passes on, um, you, you convert one of those. Uh, maybe it's a different deal. You keep the clock running, you get the chance to keep the chains going instead. Uh, we didn't, and so we constantly talk. I talk to the defensive staff, okay, hey, guys, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive here, or hey, how we feel like we can stop them. And you go into that. It's no different, right? Second half of UAB, our defense stepped up, so I felt more comfortable, okay, we can punt this thing away, and our, our, we're going to play, go play great defense, right? Um, in this North Texas game, there's situations where, okay, are we better off to pin them back, or do we need to you know, try to steal first down and keep the clock rolled? Saturday, you'll face South Florida, and very much like the last couple of weeks in Birmingham against UAB and at North Texas, you're playing a team that has all the ability to score. They have struggled defensively. But this is the fastest team you'll face. The unbelievable tempo that Alex Golish has with that offense certainly can give teams fits. Um, how have you been preparing to go up against a team that likes to run a lot of plays with their offense? Yeah, they are the fast, uh, third fastest tempo team in all of college football. Um, like I said earlier in the press conference this week, is anybody that studies that team out in uh, Orange, out east uh, of our state, they'll realize it's a very similar type of offense. In fact, that's where Coach Golish had came from. Um, and I don't know if you can replicate it in practice. I mean, literally it is the ball is put down and they're already lined up in a formation and they got the play. I mean, it's as soon as that ball hits, um, the play is already called for the next one. So how do you replicate it? You go as fast as you can. You try to get them looks. You, you work on tempo drills. Um, we're seeing quite often that teams' defenses aren't set, and the ball is snapped, and you know they're handing it off, and all of a sudden they go for 30 yards because the defense is still looking the sideline for the call. Or you know they get the call, but they're trying to, oh, wait, where's the number two wide receiver in this formation so I can get lined up off of him? Or, wait a second, this is a, an unusual deal. Then next thing you know, then it's a quarterback run. Then it's a... And that's how they take advantage of you. I mean, one, they're, they're Florida guys, so they're still hot of speed and talent. Um, they've always had, you look at their defense. I know we're talking about their, their fast-paced offense, but they got size and speed. And um, I think, you know, you look at what happened in that first half versus Alabama, um, they, they beat the living crap out of Alabama, <laughs> you know. And, and you say, well, how is that even possible? Well, and I, I'm going to remind everybody, and I don't mind, I'm not, not going to pull Dabo Sweeney, but this is a different day and age. They're able to bring in 30 players in the transfer portal. So the the one-win South Florida team, it's not the same team, right? right. When you have 60% new players, right. it is not the same. In fact, they are significantly better. They're, um, you know, into, well, Memphis should always have more time. Why? If, they're, if they've got twice as much money to spend on their players, 
why should we have more talent? People aren't coming here because of my charm and good looks and all those things. Um, and and uh, so, you know, but all those, all, all that being said, look, they're, they're very talented. Um, they're capable. And I think what we're seeing throughout this conference and this new conference, and they're an old opponent, is everybody's got talent. Everybody's got the capabilities. We watched what Rice was able to do to Tulane. Um, you know, Tulane came back and found a way to win that game when Rice took the lead at the very end. Uh, and we, we, we're just saying, okay, there's not a lot of difference between these teams and talent levels. you got to go out and coach and execute. Um, but, man, this South Florida team, you watch them on film, you sit there and say, okay, they are very, very, very capable. Um, and, like, I thank our conference again for having us an opponent that's coming off their bye week. Um, <laughs> coach Dolish admitted in his press conference they spent last week an extra week preparing for Memphis. So um, they've had their, their players talked about after practice yesterday. They've had uh, it's been nice to be able to work on a game plan for Memphis for a couple weeks now. So uh, we've got to be ready to go out there and, and handle our own business. But we're facing a very, very, very talented team. I don't, I'm not sure how many people or how many, certainly how many players are still remaining and even staff wise, but can you draw anything from the 2020 game against UCF and going against this offense and that speed? Yeah. I, uh, it'd be me and one other person in the room talking. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> I think there's maybe a handful of staff members, but um, you know, we, we, Every week, right, we've, we've seen some tempo offense. We saw North Texas play, but, you know, 2020 seems like moons <laughs> ago, and uh, at least we're not getting COVID tested before the game's got yeah. up, but we're not planning on it. Um, but it, you, you kind of show them. You can show them a television copy. You can talk to other coaches. There's nothing that replicates it. It's just like the, the triple option of Navy. Like, you can talk about it. You can do all those things until it's, it's live bullets at, at 202. Um Someone's Bank Liberty Stadium. That's when you're really getting a feel. But we're doing everything we can, prepping. I mean, I, you know, I promise you, we've I've faced it. We've seen it. Um, you've just got to be ready for it. And there's there's no. All you can do is continue to practice, continue to practice, continue to practice, and hope that uh, come Saturday when when their their defense is out there, they get a chance to okay get some three outs because that's the key, right? If, if you allow them to, you know. 10 plays of drive, and it's boom, 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 marching down the field, and you look up, and they've scored. Um, it, that's really tough. If you can go out there and they're trying to play fast, they go three and out, and then you put their defense in uh, a poor situation because they just got off the field four minutes ago. Um, it gives you a chance to go out there and, and, and execute, and that's what we're seeing in some of their games. This is when you would love to be able to shuffle in defensive linemen keep them fresh but the only time you're substituting is if they substitute on offense because you won't have the time if they're not substituting anybody so I'm, I'm not sure if they try to keep the same personnel on the field throughout these drives but I think that'll be key to keep people fresh yeah oh there's no doubt about it I mean you, you've got when they sub you've got a sub and I, I know that sounds well, wow, that's rocket science but <laughs> that, that's, with a team like this you have to because you right. can't waste an opportunity to go out there and um, and not get it done, and that's and that's the key is, but they, they, they shuffle their wide receivers, but only when it is a ball out of the bounds and the, the clock is stopped, or you know when they're they're an injury, or they they just sustain a drive, or sometimes on third down they do. Um, but yeah, we've got to be go out there and be fresh um, and go play a clean game. But it's it's unusual, and that's one of the things we're seeing is in this new conference, we're seeing a variety of different offenses. It's different than North Texas because of what they do, um, but it's similar in a sense of you know some of the tempo and some of the things they can do. So we've got to be ready. Arkansas State had a little bit of tempo as well, um, but nothing like what we're going to see on Saturday. 
their quarterback is a young guy, but he's been really good and he can throw and run. Um, heck, he's got a chance to break Quentin Flowers' records there, which is a pretty <laughs> Quentin Flowers is a pretty darn good player when he was at South Florida. But what do you, how do you what do you see out of him, and how do you control the running side of things? Because he seems to be pretty darn good at that. Yeah, I mean. So we talked about the tempo and trying to handle all that. And then, oh, by the way, they've got an accurate quarterback that's, um, that's their second leading rusher. So good luck. And I think that's part of it. There's just so many dynamic things that can occur within the system that you've got to be ready for, right? Like as soon as you're like, okay, well, they're just playing fast. We just got to get lined up. And then, oh, oh, wait, quarterback counter. Here we go. Right. Um, right. And so I think that's, yeah. Um, Part of it, you guys that will remember old Memphis games, they used to have a quarterback named Matt Grothy, and I remember from my days at uh, yep. Central Florida, um, you know, and when I was a young coach there, and they had a, it, it kind of reminds me of what he's able to do there, right? A quarterback that's accurate, that can run, that can put them in the system, and, and they can do things at a high level. Uh, and, you know, he's obviously there's a reason he's a young quarterback. Um, you know, they keep talking about how young he is, and I, I think he's either 19 or 20. I'm like, well, that's the same age as our young quarterback that's now a third-year starter. But, uh, look, he's dynamic, and I think that the multitude, I'm, I'm just waiting for a quarterback that's either just a running quarterback or just a throwing quarterback. All these guys are multifaceted. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, when, when do we get to play that offense that just, okay, this is what they do, and this is what they do well, and that's it. You know, now it's. And that's the, that's showing you guys college football and why things are occurring and why we're seeing um, a variety of scores the way they are. Yeah, Norm Van Brocklin isn't walking through that door. I don't think you're going to get these one-dimensional <laughs> quarterbacks anymore. They just want to keep you up all night, Ryan. That's what they want to do. All right, Saturday, homecoming, hopefully a huge crowd, a lot of former players back to watch this one, the Tigers and South Florida. Coach, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to see all of our fans. It's going to be beautiful weather on Saturday. Uh, for homecoming game. Can't wait to see you guys be loud and proud. Wear your blue and go Tigers. Thank you, Coach. That's Ryan Silverfield, Tigers head football coach. You can follow him on Twitter at rsilverfield. Second hour of the program is brought to you by our friends at James Gaddis Jewelers. The holidays are right around the corner, and this week has been designer week over at James Gaddis Jewelers. It will run through Saturday. So take advantage of the great deals they have on all their designer creations, and they have all types of designer uh, jewelry. And if you haven't seen that, they're always adding new things to their collections. But they have some of the best that are there and uh, available to you, including Vahan, Doves by Duran Paloma, Philip Gavriel, just to name a few. Now, if you purchase during this exclusive event a designer item, it will enter you into a drawing for a pair of beautiful one-carat lab-grown diamond stud earrings. So take advantage of that possibility as well at James Gaddis Jewelers during Designer Week. 4900 Poplar Avenue between Mendenhall and St. Nick. Stop by, say hi to James and the gang. Tell them you heard it here on Sports 56 Mornings. The website for more information, find out more about them, is GaddisJewelers.com. They are your bridal engagement and anniversary jeweler headquarters. Been part of the fabric of Memphis for decades. It's James Gaddis Jewelers. Check them out today, 4900 Poplar Avenue, in the heart of East Memphis. When we come back, it's the Tiger Football Report. Eli will have all the numbers as we break down the Tigers and the South Florida Bulls. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Join the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin, for Wolo and Friends. Weekday mornings from 10 to 11 
here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings. Isn't it a lovely morning? On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. It'd be a lovely morning if it's about 30 degrees warmer, but nonetheless, it looks lovely. If you're inside looking outside, it looks lovely. What is the... I got to look at the forecast here for tomorrow morning. Is it going to still be a cold morning, but it's supposed to be a lot warmer during the day? I do not know. Uh, I assume it will still be chilly in the morning, but I don't know. I don't think. Hope, I don't think it's supposed to be this cold. I don't think it's supposed to be freezing. It is time for the Tiger football reports as we take a look at the Tigers matchup for this week. It's brought to you by La Guadalupana, Ben Swanger Glass, Dave and Buster's Central Barbecue, Car Corner on Mount Moriah. Los Cabos on Summer Avenue and Coletas. It is homecoming for the Memphis Tigers, who are six and two on the year, becoming bowl eligible last week for the tenth straight season. The only non-power five school in the country that can say that. They are three and one in American Athletic Conference play as they will take on the South Florida Bulls, who come in four and four on the year. The four wins matches their total wins for the last three seasons combined. That's how bad it's been for USF. But things getting turned around. They are two and two in the AAC. It'll be a two o'clock kickoff on Saturday out at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, and it'll be on ESPN+. The head coaches for the game, Ryan Silverfield, who we just talked to in his fourth year, 27-18 and 18, as the head coach of the Tigers. Alex Golish, his first year as a head coach with USF. He came from Tennessee, where he was under Josh Heupel, also spent one year under Josh Heupel at UCF before they moved to Tennessee. Uh, then the two years there before getting this head coaching job, his first chance to be a head coach. Memphis coming off their 45-42 win in the final seconds at North Texas. USF had a bye week last week. Their last game was a comeback win for them on the road. They won a 24-21 game at UConn two weeks ago where they rallied from a 21-10 deficit in the fourth quarter. It's only the fifth time in program history that they rallied from double digits down in the fourth quarter to win a game. In the series, it is the 12th meeting all-time. It started 2001 was the first meeting. Memphis leads the all-time series. 7-4. to four. Last time they met was in 2020. Memphis, speaking of fourth quarter rallies, they erased a 13-point USF lead over the final four minutes of that game to pick up a 34-33 to 33 win. These two teams have had some, uh, some thrilling games in the past. The Memphis offense, 34th. In total offense in the country, averaging 439 yards per game, 274 of that coming through the air. That's good for 35th in passing offense. And their rushing offense is 56th in the country, averaging 165 yards per game. They are 15th in the nation in scoring at 36.8 points per game. That's second in the American Athletic Conference. And they have scored at least 20 points in 22 straight games, which is the longest active streak in the nation, which that surprised the hell out of me. It feels like the way scoring is in college football today that 
It feels like every team scores 20 points every week. Except for Iowa. Well, yes, Iowa. Iowa might have 22 straight without scoring 20 (laughs) points. But 22 straight with 20 points doesn't seem like that'd be the longest streak in in America. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that last week. Seth Hennigan, the quarterback, 67.5% completion, 2,186 yards, 16 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. He has not thrown an interception in the last two games. He's 18th in the nation in yards, 23rd in touchdown passes. He also has three touchdown runs on the year, so 19 total touchdowns for Hennigan. Coming off a really good game against North Texas with 22 out of 28 for 330 yards. He only had the one touchdown. That was the game winner uh, with 12 seconds left in that game. That was the only touchdown that he threw because they ran the ball so well. Blake Watson in that game had his fourth 100-yard game of the season. Tied his season high with 169 yards on 17 carries. Had two touchdowns. For the year now, Blake Watson, like his numbers are nationally pretty incredible. He's 23rd in rushing yards, 762. He's averaging 6.4 a carry. He's got nine rushing touchdowns. That ties him for 12th in the nation. Last week, he had his first 100-yard receiving game as he had five catches for 100 yards. He's got 348 receiving yards now. His 269 total yards last week, fourth best performance in Tiger history. For the season now, averaging just under 139 yards from scrimmage per game. That is sixth in the nation. He has five rushes of 60 or more yards this year, which is two more than anyone else in the country. Nobody has more than three. He has five. It's pretty amazing. Once he gets to that second line of defense, he makes a little juke and he outruns you. But his total yardage, I mean, again, averaging nearly 139 yards from scrimmage per game. That's pretty darn good. And think about this. That two-lane game, basically, I know he played a little bit. He basically didn't play that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you take that out, he's going to be up probably around 150 or 160. Uh, Brandon Thomas. He has become the uh, the goal line back last week. Three one yard touchdown runs. He has five touchdowns now on the year on just seventeen carries. That is that's very that's very efficient. Yes, it is. <laughs> and those five touchdowns have totaled, I believe, seven yards. I think it was two two yarders and three one yarders. Especially for a guy who was playing strictly special teams just a few weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. Rock Taylor. Last week, just 37 yards on four catches for him, his second lowest yardage output of the season, but continues to lead the team with 42 catches, 593 yards. He has two touchdown receptions. Um, Despite a couple of key drops last week, Demir Blakebsey had four catches in that game for 80 yards to lead the wide receivers, 30 catches for him on the year, 443 yards and three touchdowns. And Joe Skates made the game-winning touchdown catch for the Tigers. He... He's very efficient, much like Brandon Thomas. Four touchdowns on just 15 catches. So Thomas has five touchdowns on 17 carries. Skates has four touchdowns on 15 catches. Should have had five. So they, yes, should have. So their total of, on 32 touches, nine touchdowns combined between the two of them, Skates and Thomas. The Memphis defense... They, they continue to slide. <laughs> they, they continue to slide down the national rankings. There was a point this year they were in the top 10 in total defense. Now they're 93rd. 396 yards per game they're giving up. 
237 passing yards, that's 83rd. 159 rushing yards, that's 86th. And they're giving up 25 points per game, which is 61st. Uh, They had been really good on third down. Last week was not a good week. The North Texas converted 50% of their third downs, 7 out of 14, dropping the Tigers now to 15th in the nation in third down defense as teams are converting just under 31% of the time. They have 17 sacks on the year, but nobody on the team has more than two. 13 takeaways on the year, including eight fumble recoveries. The eight fumble recoveries ties them for fifth in the nation in fumble recoveries. Chandler Martin continues to have an outstanding year, leads the team in tackles, leads him in tackles for loss, and he's tied for the team lead in sacks. His 40 solo tackles leads the American Athletic Conference, top 15 in the nation in solo tackles. Meanwhile, Jeffrey Canton-Arku, second on the team, 42 tackles, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Those two guys uh, continue to be the anchors in that defense, no, no doubt about that. And Martin has been... That dude's terrific. He's just he's one of those guys that seems to always be around the ball. He's also a guy that going into the season, nobody really knew about. He he wasn't one of the names that people would talk about when they talked about the Memphis defense. USF, their offense, 35th in the nation in total offense, 437 yards per game, 246 through the air, 190 on the ground. They score 28 points per game, which is 69th in the nation. They run more plays per game than anyone. They average 83.6 plays per game, which, again, leads the country. Alex Golish has been a play caller for three years. The one year, uh, or the in, he had the two years at Tennessee, and then the one year here um, at USF. In those three years, his team averages over three plays per minute, which is the most in the country. Think about that. Three plays per minute. That's you got to get lined up really, really fast. Yeah, look, and you you know the reason for tempo, right? USF has some players, but it's certainly not uh, Ohio State or Michigan talent. What they want to do is keep you off balance as a defense, have you running around chasing your tail by playing as quick as they do. And if they don't put the ball on the ground or throw picks, it could be very successful. I mean, if you think about that, you're running. You have to run a play more than once every twenty seconds. Regardless of what the previous play was, you got to be lined up and snapping the ball in less than 20 seconds to run over the three plays per minute. Doesn't give the analysts much time on a USF broadcast to be able to get what they want in. No, no, not not at all. Their quarterback, number 17, he is a redshirt freshman, Byram Brown. He just turned 19 a little over a month ago. He started the year as an 18-year-old starting quarterback, completing 61% of his passes. 1,865 yards. He's got 12 touchdowns, six interceptions, but he can run the ball. 567 rushing yards and eight touchdowns on the ground as well. His 304 uh, yards per game in total offense, that leads the American and is 12th in the nation. And as I mentioned, if they make a bowl game, they can get two more wins and make a bowl game, he's got a really good chance to break Quentin Flowers' school record for total yards in a season. You may remember Quentin Fowler. I do. The games he had, the one game he had here against Memphis, that dude was really good. If a redshirt freshman breaks that record, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, that's a that's a good quarterback to have for several more years. Flowers has actually the top two seasons in their history, and Brown might break it, um, break those that record in his first year as a starting quarterback. 
Their running backs, Naquan Wright is number five. He is a transfer from Florida, has 590 yards on the year, five touchdowns, three 100-yard games. Last time out, 186 yards in their game at UConn, which is the most by a player in the American Athletic Conference this season. So he is a good one. They got a lot of receivers that they throw the ball to. The best one, the number one receiver, is a former walk-on. Number 38, very odd number for a receiver, but number 38, Sean Atkins, 51 catches, 550 yards, three touchdowns. He has at least four catches in every game this year, and he is on pace to break the USF record for receptions in a season. So he's the number one guy, number 38, the former walk-on. You've got number seven, Naeem Simmons. He's a transfer from Wagner. He's got 28 catches, 457 yards, and three touchdowns. In their game against Rice, Simmons had eight catches for 272 yards and a touchdown. The 272 yards, the most ever by a receiver playing for a team in the state of Florida in FBS. Wow. So no Florida receiver's ever done that. Right. But this dude did it against Rice this year. Zach, you will respect Naeem Simmons. I do not. He's never eaten red meat in his life. Mm. I like him. Not my kind of guy, but a pretty good receiver. Uh, number That's six, Ma- Michael Brown Stevens, transfer from Minnesota. 21 catches, 271 yards, two touchdowns. You might like him, too. He's the nephew of John Legend. John Legend came to one of their games. Would that be considered a fun fact? It is. He's not a legend. But he is the nephew of one. <laughs> and number one, Shafri Brown. He's a North Carolina transfer. He's got a Minnesota transfer. He's got a North Carolina transfer. Running backs to Florida transfer. Again, this is, as Ryan Silverfield talked about, like you could go out and change your roster in a hurry. Brown has 15 catches, 273 yards, and two touchdowns. The USF defense. This is, uh, these are not good. 121st in the nation in total defense. 84th against the run. 128th against the pass. So UAB and North Texas, they were terrible against the run and okay in air quotes against the pass. USF against the pass, they've been terrible. But this is what's weird. Their two lowest passing totals allowed this year. Navy, 90 yards. Alabama, 107. Well, I remember that game. I watched a lot of that game. Every other team is thrown for like 350 to 400 yards against them, except for Navy and Alabama, which is weird. They're 124th in scoring defense, give up 34 points per game. What's the lowest point total they allowed this year? 17 to Alabama. (laughs) Like the numbers, like that game does not make sense. Well, that was the game where everybody started to, wasn't it? The, the criticism, Milrow. No, Milrow, that was when he used Simpson and... Yes, and uh, Buckner. And started Buckner. Yeah. Uh, last year, they were 131st in total defense and 130th in scoring. So they have improved. Their defense is getting better year to year. <laughs> they went from 131 to 121. Uh, they do get tackles for loss, though. That is one thing. They are very aggressive. Tied for eighth in the nation. They have 65 tackles for loss, which is more than they had... All of last season. And they have 30, 13 total takeaways on the year. Same as the Tigers. 
a few guys to watch defensively. Number 17, linebacker Jalen Schuler. He's their leading tackler. Cornerback number zero, Daquan Evans. If you watch the Alabama game, you'll remember him. He leads them in tackles for loss with 10. He leads them in sacks with three. All three of those sacks came against Alabama. He had four tackles for loss in the game against Alabama. He was the AAC Defensive Player of the Week the week they played Alabama. And he's a corner. Their safety, number 21, Jalen Stokes, second on the team in tackles. He's got three and a half tackles for loss, a couple of interceptions, and a fumble recovery as well. Again, this is a defense that has struggled mightily against everybody other than Alabama, which is, take that for what it's worth. Memphis, a 13 and a half point favorite. The over-under sitting at 68 and a half, which I believe is the same as what last week's game was, which went soaring well over that total. And the Tigers have been going over a lot with their totals. The Tiger Football Report brought to you by La Guadalapana, Ben Swanger Glass, Dave and Buster's, Central Barbecue, Car Corner on Mount Moriah, Coletta's, and Los Cabos on Summer Avenue. Two o'clock Saturday afternoon with the Tigers and the Bulls on ESPN. Plus. Can Will Levis lead the Titans to another win? They'll play the Steelers tonight. We'll talk a little Thursday night football. A little golf news as well to wrap up Hour 2. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Genuine diamonds, baby. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. It's still a pretty long shot, although half the season remains for the Titans to be in the race for the AFC South title. The Jags are playing terrific football. They're 6-2. and two. But for the Titans to be in that position, they're going to have to win tonight. And that's a road game at Pittsburgh. We'll have the game for you right here on Sports 56, beginning with the pregame at 7 o'clock. But you look at the Steelers' situation. They are in the AFC North. It is loaded with the Ravens, with the Bengals now, with a healthy Joe Burrow playing great football. And, of course, Cleveland with their defense has a chance in any game with that defense. So Pittsburgh at 4-3, and three, they need a win, to be honest with you. They lose. They drop to 4-4. Four and four. The Browns and the Bengals are both 4-3. and three. The Ravens leading the division at 6-2. and two. So we're getting to that time, Eli, again, past the halfway pole where these games start to be mag- magnified and certainly uh, an important one for both the Steelers and the Titans. And for the Titans, it's whether or not Will Levis can go back-to-back and play as well as he did in his first NFL game, throwing four touchdown passes. Can he do it against Pittsburgh? Yeah, we'll see. Um, he was obviously terrific, and they he was able to find DeAndre Hopkins with the deep ball. Pittsburgh has done it with smoke and mirrors. Their offense has been really, really bad. For them to be four and three is crazy, but their defense has been really good. Obviously, T.J. Watt um, will try and introduce himself to Will Levis <laughs> in this one. So, um, But, yeah, both teams... Um, offenses have struggled, although the Titans woke up a little bit last week with Levis uh, hitting those, uh, hitting DeAndre Hopkins and throwing the four touchdowns. Hopkins missed practice yesterday, but according to reports, he is expected to play tonight. As far as Pittsburgh is concerned, have you heard, is, is it Kenny Pickett back or is it Trubisky again? I believe Pickett's supposed to play. I believe. 
I'm not positive on that, but I think I saw that he was supposed to play. Of course, you have former Memphis Tiger Calvin Austin returning punts and occasionally catching passes for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. So again, Titans and Steelers tonight. The Steelers, a two and a half point favorite at home. We got a um, this is a long text, but I want to read this is about Bobby Knight. Um, this is a, this is really interesting. Um, a texter text in says, "I loved Bobby Knight and knew he had a total personality disorder later in life." He was at West Point for years with my grandparents. He adored them, and they adored him. All three were Ohio State grads. My grandfather was the swimming coach and assistant athletic director who hired him and eventually Coach K a few years later. They were both head coaches of the U.S. Olympic team and remained friends. Grandpa remains the only Marine buried at West Point Cemetery. Wow. Coach Knight kept a soft spot in my heart for the way he treated my grandmother. She was a 7th and 8th grade grammar teacher and a volunteer at the library. What people don't know about Bobby Knight is he was the biggest donor to the library everywhere he ever lived. He donated millions to the Indiana University Library, practically built the thing himself. When he saw the pathetic library Texas Tech had, he built a new one, even donating his entire salary in years where he thought the team played badly and he hadn't earned the money. He wasn't all good, but he is much more good than people will ever give him credit for in ways most people will never know. He was much more than a basketball coach who accomplished the incredible, despite only coaching one all-pro player his entire career. And he remains an example of how fragile a reputation is and how easily a person can destroy their own reputation. I appreciate that that text. Uh, that That is interesting stuff. Doesn't surprise me whatsoever, as a lot of people have come out now and have talked glowingly about Bobby Knight. Obviously, there have been other people that continue to you know criticize especially his latter years what ended up having happening to him but certainly the good outweighs the bad yeah i had no idea about the that like that he donated that type of money and for libraries stuff like that that's um yeah i mean listen you you hear enough people who had the close relationships with him to know that he there was a lot of a lot of good in there um again Later on in the coaching careers, when he you know did some of the stupid stuff, but um, certainly a great coach, and and certainly there was a soft spot in his heart for certain people, and and did a lot of really good things. But as the as the texter points out, he's he's a good example of how a few of those bad things at the end can can really stain that reputation. From the world of golf, the the TGL season, the inaugural TGL season, I guess that stands for the Golf League will begin here soon. Matches are going to be on Monday nights in Florida. However, John Rahm, one of the top players in the world, says he will not be a part of it. He originally had said he would, but it's pretty simple. The matches are going to be in Florida. John said, well, I live in Arizona, so I'm going to stay home. So John Rahm will be replaced uh, on the roster. It's a 24-player roster. Of course, they're broken up into teams I, I don't know. this. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't know if I'll watch. I don't know where it will be available. Do you have any idea who's going to be carrying it? I have no idea. Is that something that does anything for you? No. Yeah, me either. So that's the news, though. John Rahm will not be a part of it. Also, if you want a good read, and I've just kind of skimmed over it a little bit, but Jeff Eisenberg's a really good writer. He has written about Mikey Williams. And the caption here on Twitter, or X, is he was a middle school phenom and an NIL trailblazer. He had one million Instagram followers, 
before he played his first high school game. Now at 19, Mikey Williams is a cautionary tale. It looks like, again, I've just skimmed some of it, but it looks like it's a great story. Jeff Eisenberg, check it out about Mikey Williams, who still is on the Memphis Tigers roster. But we know that he faces a long road ahead of him as far as the legal system is concerned. He's listed as out for tonight's game. He will not play in tonight's preseason game. It's breakfast time, folks. So when it comes to breakfast, no place better in town than what you'll find at Sunrise with two locations. The original 670 Jefferson Avenue and Sunrise East on Poplar Avenue in East Memphis. Looking for breakfast? Certainly, you could go find those great biscuit sandwiches they got. They've got their own homemade biscuits, the big old square biscuits. You can get the sausage, egg, and cheese or bacon, egg, and cheese. You can get my favorite, the P-Love, which is the fried bologna with the egg and cheese. they got, of course, the great bowls. They've got the kitchen sink. They've got the Three Amigos tacos. they got all kinds of different items on that breakfast menu, a great lunch menu as well that you can take advantage of from the bacon cheeseburger to the French dip, which is my favorite, to any of the other sandwiches and salads. Of course, if you're in the mood for a Bloody Mary, they've got a massive selection of Bloody Marys, mimosas, all that type of stuff as well if you're headed over there for brunch at Sunrise. Check about sunrise901.com. You can order online for pickup to make it very easy for you to go grab your food and be on your way in the morning. But uh, the original location, 670 Jefferson Avenue, Sunrise East and East Memphis for breakfast and lunch. Check them out at Sunrise. Coming up, final hour today, it's the AutoZone Liberty Bowl Inside College Football Hour. Harold Grader will join us. We'll have our world-famous pick six. It's all coming up. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM.